great Scott. Are you a sports fan who loves to have a good laugh? Oh, yeah. Then you're in the right place. I'm going to make him an offer again. Life moves pretty fast. Welcome to the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles podcast, a podcast of top culture where everyone has a story. I am your host, Elias, and you can find me on Twitter at the MCC Podcast. My guest this week, you'll see him at HBO's Westworld, Lewis Hurtham. Lewis, welcome to the cave. Thank you, brother. Good to be here. <laughs> What's new with you? What's new? Well, uh, uh, another wonderful day here in, in uh, Santa Monica, California. We have uh, beautiful weather. We've had some serious serious heat wave here, and uh, so that's always a good thing to wake up to is a, a perfect kind of day um and uh what's up i'm starting a new project next week uh called what if uh, it's in uh it's a netflix series a new netflix series with uh renee zellweger and looking very much forward to it but uh things have been good yeah just uh, recently oh I, since we're plugging you're asking me i i just recently uh did finish last week in fact a uh First time I ever did this, an uh, uh, audio book. I, I narrated a book called Mr. New Orleans by uh, an incredible writer, Matthew Randazzo V. And um, so life's good. I'm staying busy. How was it uh, recording an audio book? Man, it's, uh, that's a trip, <laughs> you know, because when you read a book, uh, obviously, you know, you read it to yourself and you, you can read it whatever speed you want and, when you're reading, you know, sometimes you kind of know what the next several words at the end of the sentence are, and you're already going to the next line, and you may transpose some words and so forth, but you don't have to go back. You you understand what's going on. But when you read a book, it's it's word perfect. Okay. So it's kind of grueling, to be honest with you. Um, and, but once you get into it, I mean, halfway through, I really uh, caught a caught a rhythm. But I'm also reading this this particular book. Um, it's a biography about a man named Frenchy Brouillette, who was a sort of a low-level mobster slash pimp in New Orleans from the 50s through the 90s. And uh, at least that's part it covers. And uh, so it, it, you're, you're reading the character, and I did all the different characters, voices, and everything. So it, it, was, it was really a, a great experience. I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. Uh, but it how, is grueling. How many days uh, did it take you to do something like this? Yeah, it took, um, it, we did about, let's see, what did we do? We did six and a half days. Wow. Uh, it's about 15 hours. Wow. You know, it's about 15 hours of reading, you know, finished reading. Yeah. So you've been, a, so, you've been, yeah. a, you've been a busy man throughout your whole career. You've worked on stage, television, movies, even commercials, mm -hmm. but I, you know, yeah. But I want to know what the listeners, to get to know you a little bit more, where are you originally from? I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, which was uh, at that time when I grew up, 60s, uh, was in high school, graduated high school in 74. I don't mind telling people my age, hell, it's all over the place anyway. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great place to grow up. It was a it was a capital of the state, but it was, um, it, you know, those were, those were really much more innocent times than, than we're living in now. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a great place to grow up. I had a great, uh, family and 
so anyway, I, I, I did that, did all the things that, uh, well, most of the things that kids do, a lot of people don't know this, but I ruptured a kidney when I was six years old. Uh-huh. I had an accident, ruptured a kidney, so I couldn't play sports. Uh, back then, you know, I don't know what would happen today if a, if a kid only had one kidney. They may have some sort of protective gear, but I couldn't play football or baseball or basketball or any of the things that I loved and and was really quite good at. But you know, listen, it was it was just a great time. Um, I grew up uh, doing a, a lot of that stuff anyway. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and I, and in 1968, my dad took me to see the film Bullet. Uh, and, uh, from that point on, I wanted to be in showbiz. I wanted to be a stunt, stunt man. I mean, that was my main goal, uh, to become a stunt man. And I lived that, uh, dream in my head all through school, through high school, college, the little bit of college that I went to. And then, uh, shortly after that found acting. And then shortly after that moved out here uh, to LA. Did and, you, uh, did you take any acting, career. acting classes in, uh, back in your hometown or did you decide to do that when you moved I, out? California. I actually, yeah, I, I, uh, actually, I, I did take a beginning, uh, class cause I, I started doing TV commercials and some modeling back in the, uh, seventies, just sort of because it was presented to me and I could, and I had an agent named Dee Cawthorn who I guess saw some potential in me. So she, she said, you know, you should take this acting class. And I thought, well, it can't hurt. You know, I still want to be a stunt man, but it certainly can't hurt. And it was fun. And then she uh, sort of forced me to go read for uh, the play The Rainmaker by N. Richard Nash at the local little theater. And uh, long story short, I ended up getting the lead uh, playing Starbuck, The Rainmaker, and that changed my life. Hmm. Uh, and then I found that, that that acting really was what I, I was my calling. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, God, within a year, I was out here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, freaking out. <laughs> Being a kid from a, a, I'd never been away from my home for more than probably three weeks, and um, you know suddenly I'm, I went from a town of I don't know three hundred thousand, maybe two twenty five, two fifty to seven or eight million. Yeah. It was quite a culture shock. But uh, how did you adapt to that? Well, you know I've always been pretty you know it's been pretty easy for me to adapt to things and meet people and so forth. So. I had uh, a, a girl that I, uh, Julie Salas, a girl that I was uh, acquainted with back in Baton Rouge, who was a model, and we were at the same agency. I was actually doing Grease at the local Little Theater. I was playing Kanicki in Grease at the local, I'm sorry, it's the local dinner theater, Auburn Lane Dinner Theater. And she gave me a call and she said, Lewis, I know you want to move to California. I'm moving and I need a roommate. And I said, count me in. So I, I was fortunate in that she came out, found a place. And, uh, all I had to do was when I finished the play was just come on out. So I knew, I knew Julie and I knew some people about 50, 60 miles away in a, in a, in a city called Monrovia that is east of LA. And that was it. So, uh, no, that's not true. I, I knew a that was a uh, manager at a restaurant, Michael Stewart. Uh, it was a great restaurant. And anybody listening in L.A. that remembers the Cafe Figaro on uh, Melrose was just an awesome uh, diner. And so I got a job there and, you know, and met people and got an agent and just started the the normal struggle that actors go through. You know? it's, uh, 
they were tough times, but they were glorious. Did you get a chance to do your stunt double since you wanted to do that? Yeah, I've done quite a bit of stunts. And, you know, I do my own stunts whenever they let me or whenever, you know, it's not something too insane yeah. <laughs> to do. But um, mostly fights because I boxed for years. I started boxing in the late 70s. And so fights come very easy for me and, and they're a lot of fun. Uh, so I do almost all of my fight scenes. And, um, you know, I've done some driving, precision driving, nothing really crazy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've, I've been able to get that Jones out, too, you know. So, so when you moved out to L.A., what was the first gig that you got? <laughs> My first acting gig, I went, uh, I was asked, I was in some acting classes out here. To answer your question earlier, I did take some acting classes out here. First class I took was... Uh, a class with Margie Haber, who is a, basically it was for cold reading. Cause I figured I would, if you don't know how to audition, you're not going to get jobs. And so she is a fantastic uh, coach in that, in that regard to this, to this day, she still uh, has classes and has quite a, a, a large student base. Um, and I, I met a girl there and she asked me to come in and do a scene with her for a casting director for the young and restless. I thought, hey, yeah, and you know, it's a good way to get seen. So I did, and I got a job, and unfortunately, she didn't. So that was my first job was uh, playing a delivery boy. They called them under fives. I think I had two or three lines uh, delivering flowers to Ashley Abbott. <laughs> and that would have been, I think, yeah. uh, I don't know, May of 82, three something like that yeah. <clears throat> so and then you know and then a lot of struggling you know occasional little jobs here and there uh some i did a, a fair amount of print work uh back in the day and then in the late 80s i started doing more and more tv commercials and uh getting some co-starring guest starring roles on tv and then 1991 i was uh, asked to be a part of the the cast of murder she wrote so from 91 to 96, the last five years of that show, which actually ran 12 years, I uh, played Deputy Andy Broom in all the Cabot Cove shows. Yeah. How was and, it uh, How was yeah. it being on a show like that? Man, it was awesome. Because I I was a recurring character, but I made enough money to, to make a nice living uh, between that and the commercials I was doing. And so I had a lot of time for theater because I loved theater and I worked out at the Lonnie Chapman's group repertory theater for about 11 years. And, um, it was great. I, I, I mean, it, it, it was a, um, it was a great job. It really was. It, it afforded me the time to do the thing that I loved the most, which was, which was theater and still, you know, make a nice living. So, um, yeah, yeah it's you, great. Do you and have... not to mention working with Angela Lansbury and well, William yeah. Wyndham, Ron Masak, people like that. It was, Fantastic, and they still replay the show on. Uh, was it Cozy TV? Cozy TV, I think it is. <laughs> I don't know where it is now, man. It's jumped around from so many places. Yeah. It's, it's on USA, Hallmark, uh, I think A and E at the time. I, I, so yeah, I know I still get uh, residual checks, so yeah. it's somewhere. Do you uh, do you enjoy auditioning these days, and how do you prepare for them? Yeah, you know, audition. I do. In, enjoy auditioning if it's something that i'm really excited about um you know that's a good question the audition process 
uh, can be really silly uh, if you ask me sometimes. I mean, if um, I, I might get in trouble uh, for this, let me first say that I have great respect for casting directors. And I think casting directors are, are underrated in, in, in what they have to do. Uh, for example, the Emmys give a, an award, an Emmy award for casting, but the Oscars don't. And they should. They absolutely should. Because casting directors have uh, huge influence on, on cast and usually make a lot of suggestions to the directors and producers before they even see anyone. Um, now, directly to your question, I don't mind uh, auditions at all. In fact, I do like them, especially, as I say, when it's something that I'm excited about. But when you go into audition for something that is really kind of mundane and something you've done a million times or something that doesn't really seem to require any special skill other than just saying words, uh, then they can be kind of tedious and <clears throat> uneventful. But I, uh, you know, I think actors, you, you know, for the most part, a lot of actors get nervous and everything. I mean, I've gotten over that and that's great. I, I rarely get nervous at uh, auditions, but these days uh, there's a lot of self-taping auditions going on a lot because so many projects are being shot all over the world and producers are often in those locations. So you have to uh, producers and directors and you have to make the, you know, do the audition on tape and send it to them. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot is lost in that process, by the way. And I think, uh, I know casting directors know this. I don't know if producers and directors realize it as much, but you really lose a lot when you watch somebody on tape, and you watch person after person after person after person saying the exact same words, sure, you can find the one you like the best, but you may not find the person you like the best to work with. When you walk in that room and you have the, the personal interaction with someone, um, oftentimes you, you get a lot more information about how they're going to play that character than you would just watching them read those lines. Okay. Um, so, that, you know, but I don't mind it. Uh, sometimes I pass on auditions on things that I just feel like, gosh, you know, you, you could, and I know a lot of actors do this, not just me. It's like, you know, I, we have reels that are available, you know, our body of work is out there. And sometimes you say, Oh, come on, man, just, just make an offer or, or not. So, do you, but I don't mind. Hey, listen, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a chance to act that day. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. And you mentioned about the videos and everything, and I had a question written down for you. Like, do you enjoy reading in front of people more than sending videos in? Absolutely. No, I mean that's 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 the point I was making. Is that yeah. you when you you know you walk in the room, you have a rapport when people <clears throat> because believe me, <laughs> you know there, I've worked with people that uh, actors that I've seen for years and really like their work. Maybe worked a guest star on a TV show where. Uh, that I've watched and enjoyed. And then when you meet the person, you go, wow, you know, I don't think I ever want to watch that show again. That's actually happened. And uh, so I think that, you know, look, if a person is a really nice person and, a, and somebody that just sort of exudes uh, a, a friendly uh, demeanor and everything, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, working on film and TV, it, it requires very long hours. You're with these people a lot. And, you know, you're, it means a lot to be working with someone that you like and that you enjoy being around. I mean, nobody wants to work with a dick or a, 
you know, an asshole or, you know, you know, and, and, and that, that will show, I mean, if somebody's a real jerk and they walk into one of those rooms, a lot of times it shows, I mean, unless they're a good enough actor to hide that part of them as well. And so uh, that's what I was saying. I think uh, people miss out a lot. And I, I will tell you this, and that started several years ago, two, three years ago, the, the uh, self-tapes really got prevalent. And um, there's no question that, that I saw, while I've been working and very blessed and I have no complaints whatsoever, uh, I did see a drop off on the, the percentage of booking. Yeah. When you and, and I've talked to casting directors about it, and they absolutely agree. Hmm. But it's the way, you know, it's changing the, times. The way the business is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as, as I mentioned earlier, you played Peter on Westworld. Uh, tell us about the audition for that role, and how did you pre- prepare for a role like that? Uh, um, okay. Uh, well, first of all, I was very well. I got a call from my manager, and he said, "I got an audition for you uh, for Westworld." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, Westworld!" I said, "Does that anything have anything to do with the the, the film from the early '70s?" He said, "Yeah, it's a." HBO series based on that. And I went, Oh my God. Cause I loved that film. It was just the freakiest film. I don't know if you've seen it, but, uh, and, and I, I have you, no, I have not actually. <laughs> well, I, I would recommend to anyone listening that, that likes the series, uh, you know, find it. I, I know it's out there cause I watched it right, again, right before I went and auditioned, but it's, it's campy as hell, you know, it's dated, but, you know, you can put yourself in 1973 watching this and realize it was so far ahead of its time. And, uh, you know, it kind of freaked a lot of people out. And I just, it was just one of those kind of movies that, that you think about was just kind of creepy and weird and futuristic. So I was very excited about it. And then I got the sides. Uh, they were basically a version of the scene that I do with Dr. Ford in the pilot. It was three completely different characters, completely different dialogue, but it was this host that was being um, uh, sort of analyzed uh, by Dr. Ford. And it said Dr. Ford in, in the sides. I didn't know anything about Dr. Ford at the time. but So I uh, just prepared like I would for any uh, audition. I think it said something like the robot was i can't remember if it said it was struggling between the because he was doing what he did in the pilot he was taking uh, in, in the in the audition uh, sides he was taking this host through different characters you know uh, access this access that so when i got into the room i, I auditioned with uh, john pasadero was the casting director his assistant or uh, was in the room uh, deanna brigidian I said, do, do you want to know this is a robot, like in the movie? Because you could tell they were robots. You know, they were a little stiff. And uh, she said, no, you can't tell. Uh, it's, it, only when they're going in from one uh, character to another. So I did the audition with not a whole lot of physicality at all. And she said, okay, great. I want you to come back uh, for the producers. But work on a physicality that we can really, you know, see uh, the struggle that the the host is having going from these different from one to the other and i'm sort of just kind of like scratching my head thinking about it and i said 
she goes, so, so you know, do some sort of physicality. The, the, the wilder, the better, you know, no limit. And I said, okay, okay. Um, and then I'm just kind of, she can see that I'm thinking, you know, I'm th- sort of thinking about it. And she says, she gave me the greatest <laughs> note I think any casting director has ever given me certainly in my career, as she said, you know how when your computer gets that spinning ball, yeah. and I went, oh, yeah, I hate that. She goes, that's what's happening to you. And I just thought, wow, that is such a great note. So I went home, started working on a physicality, you know, that, that would hopefully be something a little bit different from everyone else. And just what I thought this, this uh, robot would be experiencing. And then it dawned on me that um, not only is he having a physical he's having a problem getting his physicality in in sync but he's having a having trouble speaking too so that's when i started when i started came up with what i call that hiccuping sound that (laughs) you know as he's trying to speak and i don't know what it was about it uh, elias but doing that made everything else sort of fall into place and so i had i had had several days to work on that and then i just walked in the to Lisa Joy and and uh, she was the only producer in the room at the time and and did it full blown and you know rest rest was history. Yeah. Although it took several weeks before I was contacted and uh, given the role, yeah. I thought it, I thought I hadn't gotten it. Sorry so, about the sirens. But... No, it's okay. So so <laughs> LA, after yeah. after season one, did you know you were going to come back again? Well. The character Peter was really supposed to just just supposed to be in the pilot. I don't, I don't think there was any plan for Peter to get out of cold storage, and um, they uh, graciously kept uh, bringing me back in the little bits that they that they did. And then in episode eight of season one, uh, Hale and Sizemore come in and download all that that data into Peter. Well, that's when I knew I was coming back. Cause that was obviously, you know, they, they make, they don't make any mistakes on that show. When they uh, present you with something that looks like it's going to continue, it will. Yeah. And, um, so I, I just gave Lisa joy a hug and said, you know, thanks for finding ways to bring me back. Now I had no idea at that time what I'd be doing, how many episodes I'd be in, uh, or, or anything, but I did feel like I, I was going to be back. And then in December, uh, would have been what December of 16, I guess. Um, the, uh, I got the call that, um, they wanted me to come back as a series regular in season two. Um, so that was a glorious day. And so I came back and did season two. Yeah. So uh... What's the best advice you uh, you've received from somebody in the acting world through all these years uh, you've been acting? Hmm. Best advice. I think the best advice um, is is for actors is uh, just don't take it personally. Don't take any rejections personally. That's probably the top tier because we do take things personally. It's it's hard not to. It's hard not to take something personally when you put your blood and guts out and you, you're, you're very vulnerable as an actor and going in and performing for people you've never seen and 
performing for people that you might be the 20th person they've seen do the exact same thing. And they're sitting there with no smiles on their face and they're like, hi, how are you? Yeah. And then, you know, and, and, and you may not get a reaction. Um, you, you just can't take things personally. You really can't. I, so that, I think that was, um, that was a, a note that I took to heart quite some time ago. Um, and then my own advice would be when you go into the room, cause I've done some teaching as well. When you go into the room, I always ask my students, I said, you go into a room, there's a, there's a writer, there's a director, there's a producer, there's a casting director, and maybe a couple of other producers as well. Associates are exactly. So you got a room full of these people. I said, when you walk out of the room after your audition, who do you think is the best person to please? who's the one you want to please the most? And they're like, well, the writer, because it's his word. No, the director, because he's making me. And I say, no, you. Because if you walk out of that room and you go, man, that, that's great. I nailed it. Then that's all you can do. Because yeah. it's all very subjective. So I always say, do the best you can. Prepare, prepare, prepare. And you asked about how I prepare. I just, I simply read it and read it and read it and read it until, until, until it just becomes second nature to say it. And um, I don't necessarily set out to memorize it, but if you read it enough, you do memorize it. If you read it enough, it becomes just sort of part of you and you can go in and, uh, and, and listening is, is uh, another huge thing. Don't just wait for your turn to speak. You'd listen to what's being said to you and react because it may be the delivery may come in a way that you never expected and you have to respond to it in a way that works for the way that it was delivered. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So like I said, you've been active for a long time. Like, do you have a dream role that you hope you could play someday or have you already had it? You think? Well, certainly Peter Abernathy is a dream role. I, 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 there are other things that, that would have been, that would be fun to explore with Peter Abernathy. But, um, you know, um, I, I, I think uh, I've actually gotten sent a couple of scripts lately that, that are characters that are very intriguing. Um, one is a guy that's just gotten out of jail for a long time and pretty hard core guy, you know, uh, not necessarily a, a real bad guy, but someone who just circumstances uh, saw him do time. And then he's getting out and trying to adjust to the world. It's something, I mean, I, just got the script and just exploring this so it's something that um you know that that kind of thing characters i love playing characters that are completely as far away from me as possible okay. the further away the better you know so i don't know I, I i would like to do some uh big bigger films with uh, some action and you know uh that kind of thing uh, yeah. physicality i love physical roles but so, you know yeah. They'll come. So what's what's a one fun fact about you that you want the listeners to know? <laughs> Let's see. One fun fact. Hmm. Well, gosh. Oh, man. Uh, I, well, it's fun for me. I don't know if it'll be fun <laughs> for them. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an art collector. I love art. Uh, I have, oh, God, I don't know, 70, 80 paintings in my home. I'm, I mean, I'm just a, a freak for original art. Um, and I'm also a lover of classic cars. I have a 68 
Ford Mustang Fastback and a 71 Corvette Stingray. Uh, those are fun for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. So lastly, about, uh, that, lastly, uh, let's talk, yeah, go ahead. uh, plug your, your projects again that you have coming up. Okay. Um, let's see. October 12th. Uh, a film called I Still See You uh, with Bella Thorne. And it is a incredibly interesting film. It's based on a novel called uh, Break My Heart a Thousand Times by Daniel Waters. And it's um, a post-apocalyptic film or a post-partial apocalyptic film. I play a man named Dr. Steiner who uh, was messing around with colliders and sort of caused a partial apocalypse wow. and the people that died uh during that event um um sort of remain in ghost form they're called remnants and so you never really know if the person you're looking at is a ghost or a remnant if it's a remnant you could literally walk right through them but these people uh re relive their the last moments of their life. So Bella's character, she comes down for breakfast every morning and her dad is sitting there reading the paper for, you know, a few minutes and then phew, just disappears. Wow. So the, 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 the weird part is that these people have to relive every day. They're reminded about losing their loved ones. It's, it's really a fascinating um, story. The screenplay is written by and produced by Jason Fuchs. Uh, and it's a, yeah, that that's a great a great little film. October twelfth. Um, I don't. I did this film called Labyrinth with Johnny Depp, and then they changed it to City of Lies. But I, I believe they're having issues with the release on it, so I'm not quite sure what's happening with it. But um, got. Uh, I don't even know if I can talk about some of the stuff. But I'm. But this this thing, What If, with Renee Zellweger, that's going to be on Netflix. I I can assure you, this is this is something that's going to be really interesting. It's really clever as it just, it's really clever. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. So I hope people will watch that. And Hey, if you like uh, new Orleans, uh, you know, when Mr. New Orleans comes out, it, it's a fun read. I mean, it's a fun, it's a fun read. The book is a blast to read, but if you don't feel like reading it, you can listen to me grind through it. <laughs> and, uh, how, how can the listeners find you on social media? Uh, Lewis, uh, at Lewis and it's L O U I S underscore Hertham H E R T H U M and that's Instagram and um, uh, Twitter and uh, you know I'm on Facebook too. I'm easy to find on Facebook, Lewis Hertham. All right, I wanna. So yeah, man. This was fun. Uh, thanks for coming on. Well, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah.